American Capitalism, A History, with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. Let me tell you a story that's right at the heart of this transition from the first slavery to the second slavery, and from the 1700s to the 1800s. And this story moves from one place to another pretty quickly, and maybe some of these the places where it stops will be unexpected to you. But I think it's an interesting and important story. Now, first of all, you have to understand something about the city of New Orleans. New Orleans is at, at the mouth of the Mississippi River, and it commanded the trade of the entire interior of the United States, or what would become the United States. And in fact, the United States really couldn't become the United States as we know it today without New Orleans. That's because the new territories west of the Appalachians, Kentucky and Ohio and so on, had only one outlet for their trade, and that was New Orleans. And up until 1803, the U.S. had no control over that trade. The colonial powers that still owned the city continually stopped the trade, continually interrupted the trade of U.S. settlers at their whim. First, it was Spain, which controlled the city from 1763 to 1783, or to 1800. Uh, and then it was France, which took over control of Louisiana territory again in 1801 from Spain. The United States had always wanted to acquire New Orleans and the Louisiana territory. And these colonial powers had prevented them from doing so. And once Napoleon Bonaparte took command of the French Revolution in the late 1790s, it became even less likely that they were going to be able to acquire that crucial possession. Napoleon wanted to restore France's empire to its former glory. And in his mind, this included Saint-Domingue, the crown of the empire, now a slave, uh, a colony in, in revolt, uh, and it also included the Louisiana Territory, which had been held by Spain from 1763 onward. So in 1800, he concludes a secret treaty with Spain, which will retrocede, as they call it, the territory of Louisiana to France. And he also sends a massive invasion fleet to retake control of Saint-Domingue from the former slaves, who are essentially operating it as an independent uh, country. Now, the invasion fleet he sends carries about 25 or 30,000 soldiers. They invade Saint-Domingue, and they engage in a brutal war, a protracted struggle that ultimately consumes that entire army. Napoleon had another army in reserve that was waiting in the ports of northwestern France, but he had a different purpose for that. He didn't want to send that one to Saint-Domingue. He wanted to send that army of about 15 or 20,000 men to occupy the Louisiana Territory. That army was bigger than the entire American military at the time. With control over Louisiana and New Orleans, and with a powerful army, Napoleon would have been able to dictate terms to the Western territories. And it's quite possible that the United States would have literally split apart at that point. But he can't send that army to New Orleans. He has to send it to Saint-Domingue to try to put down, at last, the revolt of these formerly enslaved Africans. And that army is also chewed up and consumed in what is becoming independent Haiti. The president of the United States at this point is Thomas Jefferson. 
And Jefferson, more than anything else, more than any other policy, wants to acquire the interior of North America from Spain at first and now from France. He believes that there American farmers can expand for generation after generation. But he recognizes that the fact that France now by 1803 controls New Orleans, that fact puts America in a serious bind. He says there's no, there's no place on earth so important to the United States, he writes in a letter to one of his, uh, one of his deputies. There's no place on earth as important to the United States as New Orleans. Whoever possesses it, if it's not us, is going to be our mortal enemy. And then he went on to say that that might even mean the U.S. has to make an alliance with a former colonial power, Britain. And he cannot stand that thought, but it's a bridge that he might have to cross. So he sent two emissaries to Paris to try to buy Louisiana from Napoleon. Napoleon rejected them repeatedly until he finally realized that both of his armies of invasion had been destroyed in Haiti. He throws up his hands and agrees to sell Louisiana for an incredibly low price, $15 million. He needs the cash so he can build his next army because he's going to fight another war in Europe, he realizes. $15 million for 830,000 square miles. That's 530 million acres, three cents per acre. And of course, the Americans jump at the opportunity and they buy Louisiana from Napoleon. If the U.S. had not successfully completed what becomes known as the Louisiana Purchase, the U.S. would simply not be what it is today. And many other things might not have happened as well. Because what that does, uh, what the purchase accomplishes is this combination of resources and space and opportunity that perhaps could have happened nowhere else in the world. And it's going to allow a tremendous sequence of growth for U.S. capitalism over the next 200 years. But it was entirely possible that it could have never happened. Perhaps if the Haitian Revolution had not succeeded, if a small group of people whose descendants today are the citizens of a poor but still independent country, if they had not defeated first Britain and then France, the two greatest military powers in the world at that point in time, the Louisiana Purchase might never have occurred. information, go to edX.org and look for American Capitalism, A History, with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. Or go to facebook.com slash American Capitalism MOOC. This podcast has been brought to you by Cornell X from Cornell University. Mm-hmm.